Hello and welcome to Women on Top with Holly Madasser, where the conversations focus on women, wealth, and social change. Holly and her guests, who represent many different fields, engage in transparent conversations that reflect professional and personal struggles, as well as accomplishment. Some are making strides to address societal problems. Others have chipped away at the proverbial glass ceiling. All are supporting the financial future and well-being of women. Through these conversations, we learn about embracing a purpose and lifting others up while ensuring our own future success. Now, here's your host, Holly Madasser. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Women on Top. Today, we have with us Jean-Marie Clark, who is the founder and CEO of Pax Philomena, amazingly, a fashion design company, which is every woman's dream. Um, Jean, tell us a little about your company and the inspiration behind this. How, how did, how does any little girl listening to this show do what you did? <laughs> <laughs> wow. How do I sum that up, Holly? First of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's very, very nice. And I feel honored to be here. Um, so Pax Filomena was founded on, on passion, first of all, and a desire to honor I'll say two mothers. One is my mother, who is Philomena, and the other mother would be Mother Teresa, who who is uh, someone who has played a role in my life because I was born in Calcutta, India, and I grew up learning about, hearing about Mother Teresa, and literally she she had her mission a few blocks from where I was born. So it's a story about mothers and giving back to the community and taking a passion for fashion and art and textiles that I learned from my own mother and, and giving something back to people. And, and so I, I love you're describing your background a little bit. Help, help us and our audience understand. You say you were born in India. Were your parents traveling there? Do you have any Indian lineage? What, what, what? prompted that? And then how did you end up in Arizona? So we have a long history in India. Our family was there from the middle of the 19th century. So we're part of a very interesting, um, the, we're part of the British Raj, right? So we, we came to America on British passports, but we actually have Indian blood in us on our maternal side. So I was born in Calcutta, but we came to America when I was three years old, but I was raised by parents who had lived in India all their lives. So it's a culture called Anglo-Indian and we immigrated to the United States because in 1968, Calcutta was communist and it was very difficult, even though my parents had lived there their whole lives, they could see that there was really no future for their children being Anglo-Indians. So we stuck out like sore thumbs in a society where we sort of didn't belong anymore once the British had left India. It's interesting because um, my family immigrated from Iran in 1969. I think we're about the same age. So, you know, you 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 go from one society where you're in a specific socioeconomic strata and then you land in the United States and suddenly your stock has plummeted, right? Because you're you're an immigrant. And in my case, I grew up in a family um, who were Iranian. And so with the cultures and the food and the thinking and thought process of 
people in Iran. So it's almost for me as though I had a foot in two worlds that unfortunately were colliding politically all along and still do. What was that like for you? Did you did you feel that you had sort of a split identity growing up in the United States with your background? Yeah, split, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, that's a very interesting way of putting it because we, you know, you never, it's, the American culture is very, very welcoming to us and very kind to us and very, I mean, my parents have beautiful British accents and we were, though our accents were beaten out of us in grade school, literally I was sent to speech to get rid of my beautiful accent. But in any case, aside from that, uh, yes, we were raised on Indian food. We had Indian furniture in our home. We went to American schools, but we came home to parents who were from a totally different mindset. It took them 16 years before we became American citizens and gave up our British passports and gave up our uh, we could have, the, I was born, we were, we all could have had Indian citizenship as well if we wanted. And being raised by parents who were not born in this country and, and had a different perspective was at times trying, but it, it's, it made me who I am today. It made me yeah. who I am today. And, and yes, and our I, stock and I do think, Yeah, and I do think the same is true for me is that it was a blessing and a curse. So it was difficult, more difficult to assimilate. I didn't take things for granted the way, you know, my children who were born and raised here much more easily assimilated than, than I did. At the same point in time, it kind of gave me a global perspective, a different way of viewing the United States and what the different ethnic groups bring to this country. And I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but potentially what you've ended up doing professionally and with Pax Philomena has a strong tie to your Indian roots. Is that a fair statement? That's completely fair. In fact, it's a way for me to get back to my Indian roots. So I've been, I didn't go back to India till I was 40 years old. So I left when I was three and I had an overwhelming desire to go back. So I found an excuse to go back in another business that I was running a textile business and started working for an Indian textile mill and was, was just curious about this country that I'd heard so much about and I'd been raised on and I'd heard stories about it. And I, I mean, my father was born in Agra in the shadow of the Taj, literally in the shadow of the Taj Mahal. So you, you can't, all his relatives were in the UK and I grew up talking to them and so this place, India, which was a huge part of me, but I'd never visited, was just calling. It was calling. And I went back and I was cautioned by some people, Indian friends, to not admit that I was an Anglo-Indian, meaning that I had British and Indian blood. Because after partition, it became sort of like uh, you were sort of a half-breed, a half-caste. Caste in the sense that they really do have a caste system there. But in any case, I'm very proud of who I am and I had no issues with that. And when I landed in Bangalore, the first thing that the passport immigration man said to me, because he saw on my passport, I was born in India. He said, welcome home, madam. And that, that was it. I got off the plane. I smelled those spices. You, I, it was like being home. It's a very interesting thing. So, so I have a home over there. I have a, you know, I, I've built this connection with there and I thought, what can I do with these people? What can I do with this country? I can take their textiles and I can support their art form, 
which is what we're doing. We're, we're supporting their block printing. We're supporting their artisans. And these are crafts. These are things they've been doing for centuries, centuries. And so I thought, let's bring this. Let's bring this over here and, and show this to the American people and see what happens. And, and amazing things happened. And I, I think you probably described these events as providential, but from what I understand, um, you were, your, one of your dresses was featured on, in Oprah's magazine, which is no small feat when you have the mega giants around and uh, you know fashion designers that are well-known and born out of Italy. How on earth did that happen for you? So yes, I, I would say it was divine providence to tell you the truth. But I think if you if you you wish it enough and you want it enough and you work hard enough, at some point in time, it's going to pay off. So I I just um, made one smart move when I started Pax Philomena and I started it just to sort of open and close the parentheses. I started it really without anything, you know, pretty much just saying, look, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to self-finance. I'm going to just do this. I'm going to go to India. I'm going to put this collection. I'm going to buy inventory. And then I had all this inventory. I thought, well, oh gosh, now what am I going to, what am I going to do? So I was you able literally to literally took your own money. Uh, you went to your retirement account or your nest egg and, and you had that kind of faith. I, I believe you were a single mother at the time. So you yeah. have two boys at home and, and you have this burning passion to connect with India and to do something in the arts, which I know you're an artisan. And, and, and so you took all your savings and your sons were like, go mom, you know, <laughs> that's what I call a risk taker. Tell me, tell me what that was like for you. Did you even do a double take or did you just say, you know, I'm doing this because you only live once? No, if you double take, you don't. I wanted to start it before I was 50. And so right, uh, yeah, when I turned 50 is when I put my first collection together. So that was five years ago. And one of my sons was with me. I took my younger son with me and had a conversation with both of them saying, look, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. And it is a risk because, yes, it does take from whatever I have and just saying, I'm just going to do it. So, but if you think twice, you won't, you know, you just won't. And my father started his business when he was 45. My mother was very encouraging and we're, we're, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. We had to, that's what we had to do to survive. It wasn't easy to survive when you immigrate and you start from scratch. So it wasn't sort of new to me to try something. And so I just went for it. Yeah, I just bought this inventory thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to put up a website and I'm going to, and I'm going to, to sell this product all over America, just like that. So <laughs> ignorance, is bliss. ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah, but, but then you did it. And so what did you do? You went to India and you found some beautiful fabrics. And then who actually sews the fabrics? Who creates the designs? I mean, for our audience, let me just describe, these are Kefton style designs. And so they're kind of one size fits all for the most part. They're colorful, beautiful Indian block prints and they're extremely flattering. Um, tell, us, tell us how this process worked. You found the fabrics first, you had the design first, who sewed them, how do you ship them? So, so we'll, we'll say that it started actually the part of the impetus came from my 
25th Princeton reunion. I designed the costumes for our 25th reunion and Princeton is a, Princeton reunions are a big deal. So you get your jacket on your 25th reunion and you keep that jacket for the rest of your life. And I was uh, honored enough to be able to design the costumes. And not only did I do the jackets, but I decided let's do tunics for the women. And so I printed these beautiful tiger stripe orange and cream in Italy where I work with a textile mill. I have a whole background in textile and home furnishing. So this doesn't, I just didn't fall upon this, you know, five years ago, this is 30 years of textile experience. So I printed in Italy at the mill where I work. I had these tunics made in India with beautiful embroidery and beads. And we show up at reunions, we win the award for the best costume, but we have all sorts of people coming up to me and saying, where can I, but you know, I have people coming up, you, we should be, you should sell this in even markets. You should. And, it, and I thought, wow, this was a lot of fun. This was really <laughs> a lot of fun. And a lot of people looked really great. And I realized that if you, if you can make, especially a woman look great and feel great, which feeds into the one size fits all, feeds into the flattering silhouette, feeds into all of that, bright colors, beautiful pattern, design, that all contributes to making people happy, right? It makes people smile. And so and that's them sort of- feel good about themselves, especially in a society. And I know we're getting more conscious of this, but where, you know, the models are like six feet tall and weigh a hundred pounds. And, yeah. you know, the clothes that they're wearing are unfathomable for most normal women to wear, right? right. And so you <laughs> see them walking down the runway and they look gorgeous, but that can't be you. That can't be most typical women, especially women in their fifties, right? And, and so you've created like you said, this beautiful silhouette, it's about the costume almost, the fabric, the colors, the flattering, the one size fits all so that, you know, women can feel good about their authentic selves and not try to be something that they're not. Well, exactly. And your my mother was a bigger woman and I know how hard it was for her to find clothing. And so that was one of my goals. At one point I had gained weight and I realized that I could wear these tunics and caftans and people were coming up and compliment. And you could just feel, feel uh, when you feel good, that's what you spread, right? So these textiles are art in motion. These are, these are works of art. Every block print is unique. Every, that block printer, you can see on the website, we have some images of block printing. Each inch of fabric is a piece of art because it's not mechanically printed, it's printed by hand. So that's something to be, to be celebrated. And then many women who now, uh, I have so many women who write to me and, and compliment what I'm doing because it just makes them so happy. And that feeds into our, into our theme, which is um, that peace begins with a smile. And that's a, that's a statement from Mother Teresa. So Pax Philomena, just to explain a little bit about the name, Pax, of course, is peace in Latin. Philomena means daughter of light, and Philomena was also what my mother, my mother's name. And so this, um, the tomb of St. Philomena was discovered in the 19th century in the catacombs of Rome, and on the tomb was written Pax Tecum Philomena, which means peace be with you, Philomena. So I shortened it, and I made it Pax Philomena, and... I included this saying from Mother Teresa that peace begins with a smile because this clothing makes people smile. 
And Mother Teresa always said, if you can't, you don't, the, the person sitting on the street who needs help, the most important to the, thing to them is to be recognized. You don't, if you don't have to give them money, you don't have to give them, you have to smile, you have to show them that they exist. They just want to be seen. Exactly. Exactly. But not only the poor person sitting on the street, you know, we just have, we have so much poverty in America. Mother Teresa felt like America was the the poorest country in the world because of our spiritual poverty. So I feel like our our clothing spreads, it definitely spreads smiles. I mean, you, you know, Holly, you have some of our pieces, but people compliment, people smile, they can't help with the bright, beautiful colors. Yeah, they're so Not pretty. To- and I, I've worn my, I, I got a couple of the button downs and I wear them with just a pair of shorts. And everywhere I go, people are like, oh, where did you get that shirt? I love the color. I love the this, I love the that. And it does make you feel good to be complimented and to feel that you're wearing something beautiful. I've noticed that um, on your website and various places that you model a lot of the clothes yourself. And so tell me how that came about because you're, you're, you're beautiful and you're such a wonderful model for the clothes. Well, <laughs> thank you. I'd like to say that there was more, I mean, necessity is really the mother of invention. <laughs> and that's really another theme here in our, in my company. Necessity is the mother of invention. We, I model for myself. We, we didn't have a big budget obviously because this is just all self-financed. And so at a certain point in time, when people just kept saying, you know, you're your own best model, you're on your, why don't you just, why don't you, just, I just threw all caution to the wind and said, you know what, I don't have a modeling budget. So here we go. So my sons are also over the, all over the website because we do a men's line also, which I love to pieces. I love our men's line. And so uh, I'm lucky enough to have two nice looking boys. So men, so they also, we we're a family company. My father advises us. My mother passed a year ago, but she was my biggest biggest supporter and fan and said, it will grow, this will grow. She just was so every day, are you making money? How many orders did you get? I said, mom, I'm just at the beginning. It will grow, it will grow. So I I don't forget her words, she was right. And in the height of the pandemic, she passed away at the beginning. And so in honor of her and not moping around and being depressed, I I threw myself into, into Pax Philomena. To make and, it grow. And, and I think it's really taken off during the pandemic, it seems. And I wonder how much of that is because um, people became more casual and corporate attire wasn't as necessary during the pandemic. Do you think that's part I, of it? I, I think that could be part of it. I think also that people obviously were at home so they could shop more online and it's, it's kind of a funny story going back to the Oprah, um, the Oprah dress that was picked called our Isadora Maxi dress. I was trying to figure out how can I do this? I have to figure out Facebook and you know, women in our age are not exactly, not all women are technologically up to date, especially me because I'm in the textile industry. But I thought, you know, I've got to figure this out. If I can get this product out, how do I do this? So through a series of reading books and listening to audios and gluing myself to my computer for literally three days, I figured out how to place a Facebook ad. Accidentally, it did accidentally happen. And one of the pieces of advice I'd had from somebody was use your hook. You must have a hook. So I thought, what's my hook? And I thought, oh yeah, Oprah, Oprah that's, that's a nice one. So I placed an ad with that one dress. 
and a very small budget. I just followed all of what I thought what Facebook recommended, which was what someone had said, and a very small budget, like $25. And lo and behold, we started getting orders for this dress. This is in April of last year. So uh, we started getting orders and I didn't really even know I'd done this. And my boy said, you know, mom, you, you must have placed this ad. And yeah, I did, I did place it. So we placed another, a couple of days later, I fiddled around again and I placed another one. We had a dress featured in Southern Living Magazine, which was a nice one too, and placed an ad for that. And then they started, they started just selling and women all over the country started ordering our, our, our I mean, it was just like a miracle. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I, I hear you when you say it was a miracle and in some ways it was, but in other ways you have a product that has mass appeal, obviously. And so if you advertise it and no one likes it, no one's going to buy it, but you advertised it and people loved it. And so, you know, people started <laughs> buying it, but I'm guessing that having the Oprah name attached to that first ad was potentially helpful <laughs> to that's an understatement. And so how did you get on Oprah? How, how did you have that major breakthrough? So, so that was, um, let's see, that was in 2018. And so I had just, I thought to myself, I have to find a way to, to get this product out there. I had verified, I know it's a good product, but we just, you don't just set up a website like I thought you did. And you don't just get people coming and you don't just all of a sudden have people clicking on caftan and coming to your website. I will admit, I didn't know that. I didn't know all of these obstacles, these te technological obstacles that existed. I just thought, I knew I wanted to go direct. I knew I didn't want to be selling to middlemen and stores. I wanted to get my product right to the marketplace. So I thought, okay, how can I do this? So I, I hired a PR company. And that was the biggest, it was a big investment because they're not cheap. And I researched and got the best one who had an office in LA and had an office in New York and they were specialized in fashion. And they were two very nice women in, in their thirties. And we just had a conversation. They said, look, we think we can do something. Your product, I'll never forget. They said, your product makes a beautiful splash on a page. Yeah. And so that is so when they worked with Oprah magazine and when they submitted this dress, she was doing a thing on beach dresses. What do you wear to the beach? And so what happens is all everybody submits, all the PR companies, everybody's trying to get in there and they submit images. So our image, of course, was submitted and I didn't have this dress even in stock. I had like five of them and they said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. You know, and, and it also the chance of getting in. But they said they, they're really interested in this dress. And so they, she picked it, it got picked, it got published. First of July, it was supposed to be the August issue. First of July, I started getting messages on Facebook. Oh, where, where, how do we get that dress? You know, people writing this on, oh my gosh, I don't have hardly any of them. So again, we just, it, it, it's just, it's a blue and white, beautiful indigo resist print, hand block print printed with mud, interestingly enough. And you can't get it in July because in Jaipur, India, it's raining. These things are dried out in the sun. They're printed in the heat. They, so our, our thing hit in Oprah and we didn't have the dress. <laughs> so what we did you do? We didn't have the dress. I panicked, yeah, of course. This is the opposite of just-in-time inventory, right? <laughs> 
absolutely. This is this is just being so. And but I'll tell you one thing, Holly. We just put a note on our website. Back ordered four to six weeks. Reserved now, and the orders just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. I, I mean, it was it was just like manna from heaven. You could you could not. I couldn't believe what was happening. Wow. None of us could. The power of. And honestly, whatever I know, there's you know whatever your political standpoints are, because I know Oprah's. In, I used to enjoy her book club, and she and she has some great recommendations of things and things. So that wasn't as uh, volatile in 2018, you know. But but still, there's a real. She recommends some very nice things, and she she recommended our dress. So it was printed in the second page of her magazine. So that was really your first big break. Let's just say it put you on the map, so to speak, nationally, and you started getting orders, then it was backordered. And has that momentum just continued to build from that? You said that was 2018. Yeah. Yeah, that was 2018. And because I have another career that I that I was doing full time, um, because that really was what was bringing in the, you know, putting the food on the table type thing. I couldn't dedicate myself so much to to packs. And so when the pandemic hit, all of my work with Italy went by the wayside. I couldn't travel, I couldn't see clients, I couldn't, I mean, I'm a two million miler on Delta, just on Delta, not to mention other airlines. So I couldn't travel and I was able to dedicate myself to packs. And I thought, okay, going back to the hook, what's my hook, it's this dress. So I picked the thread back up in 2020 placed the Facebook ad as seen in Oprah, OO Magazine, Oprah Magazine. And interestingly enough, not even knowing what I was doing, one day my father said, I said, you know, I really wish I knew what I was doing with these Facebook ads. And my dad said, can't you call Facebook? I said, no, you can't. You, you can't reach Facebook. You just can't. There's no the phone number. There's no, you know, it's impossible. And the very next day, I had an email in my inbox from Facebook saying, we would like to talk to you. Said, click wow. here for an appointment. Yeah, click here, and and we're available <laughs> now. If you want to talk now? And so I'm sort of a I'm a Capricorn. I'm a do it right away. Click that button. Someone called me right away, and they said, "We want to know what you're doing. What are you doing? Because you're getting such amazing result, results with your ad. We don't have anything to tell you. We want to know, you know, who you are." Wow. And I just laughed I just laughed so hard I said I have no idea what I'm doing I have no idea what I'm doing so then they looked so at it went from so accidentally out. placing an ad to being the expert right <laughs> oh my god it's hysterical and it just and I and they, they looked at my ad and it was just one image it was just one image which was this dress and I just threw things on the page I said uh, support female entrepreneurs um support artisans you know something like that and 100% cotton one size fits all you know this type of thing I didn't know what I was supposed to write I didn't know anything and I gave a discount which was Facebook's recommendation oh put a discount away and so I threw a discount in and so they said and again going back to what the PR company had said to me they said this dress it's just the dress on a white background Holly people paid thousands and thousands of dollars for advertising for an ad. And I took my image from my website and threw it on a Facebook ad. And Facebook amazing. said, it's your, it's your product. It's amazing. Product. So um, it is. I'm, I'm noticing through all of this that 
you make it sound every little thing like just a fluke that happened. But in reality, when I look at your background, your education, your, your cultural elements, your longtime affiliation in the fashion and design industry, it's almost as though every single thing that happened in your life led you to this moment. So it, it wasn't quite accidental. Maybe it's where preparation meets opportunity and, and, and it worked, right? Well, they say in Italian, niente per caso. So nothing, nothing by chance. And the, the, I think that it's about positioning yourself in life. And my mother definitely taught me that. My mother put me on a plane and sent me off to Princeton University. I did not, I'd never been to the East Coast. I'd never been, I'd never been to New York. I'd never been any of those places. Back then they gave uh, merit scholarships and my parents, like we know, were immigrants. They were struggling to start their own business. My mother was doing art. My mom and I did art together when I was growing up. And she and I were boutique artists, which is where I learned color design textiles on the job with her. And she, we used to sell our art in galleries around the Southwest. And of course, she was much more famous than I was. I was the child artist. But I sold. That's where I learned business. That's where I learned commission. That's where I learned, you know, the gallery gets... 40%, I get 60%. That's how I supported myself. I never worked at McDonald's or Wendy's or any of those. I did art on the weekends and we did art shows and then art galleries. So mom, when I was accepted at Princeton, I mean, she always said education is the key. Nobody can take that away from you, especially as a woman, you cannot ever depend on a man. Just don't do it, get your education. So she literally, my college counselor at, uh, in high school, the high school said, you know, this girl needs to apply to these schools. And I thought, why would I? Anyway, mom was right there. And Princeton, Princeton accepted me with a beautiful, you know, of course, student loans and merit scholarship. And I'll never forget. I will always be grateful to them for doing that because mom put me on a plane and I landed there in Princeton, New Jersey, not knowing I knew one person from my high school. But talk about culture shock and talk yeah. about, I mean, it was going from Arizona is the 48th state in the union for education. Yeah. So going from being a top scholar in the state of Arizona to competing with all these kids from, from prep schools and, you know, really good schools and going from being a straight A student to getting, you know, seeing a first C that I've ever had in my life and econ or something like that. It was so hard. It yeah. was so hard. Yeah. So, yeah. but Right, adversity either is going to, you're either going to overcome it and succeed or you're going to give into it. And so, you know, with the support of, of my mom and then I found art history, I found the art history department. I was always fascinated. And when we came from India, my mother really wanted to go to Rome. We're Catholic and she had to go to the Vatican. She had to. So we stopped in Italy and she threw a bunch of coins in the Trevi fountain. She took me around. I remember, you know, she, I was little, but there's photos of it. And she threw a bunch of coins in the Trevi Fountain. And when I was a junior at Princeton, um, having decided to be our history major, I decided I'm going to Rome. I'm taking a semester off and I'm going to Rome. Not off, semester off from Princeton, but still, right. you know. Right. Stuck. So um, I'm just, I'm so taken with what a, a force your mother has been in your life. It, it, every step of the way from education to the art background to the entrepreneurial spirit and really just your backbone in terms of support that 
no matter how scared you were, no matter how much you questioned yourself, she believed in you. And that's, I think all of us, I mean, and for every mom out there, and I know this to be true with my own children, you have to have somebody believe in you, right? And, and she did. And, 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 and she lived to see you start Pax Philomena. I'm sure she was incredibly proud of you. She, she, she definitely was. She definitely, yes, she did live to see me started. She lived to see me get the Oprah thing. She lived to see me get a 16 page spread in Phoenix Home and Garden. She lived to see quite a bit of it. She did not live to, but she's watching. She's here. I, I, she's here. She's definitely here. And she, the interesting thing is that she was always, sometimes you see parents who don't want their kids to launch, but my mother never stopped me. So, you know, I say, mom, I want to go to, you go, go and my her and we also we're, we're, we're pretty faith-based we're we were raised uh with a strong catholic background my grandmother my mom's mother is in australia um when i went to rome she said i don't know if you know this tidbit about the pope when i went to rome. i mean these are the things where you say okay so is it divine providence or is it what what is it because when i was going to rome my grandmother in sydney said genie meet the pope get an audience with the pope this was pope john paul ii and so, you know, um, right. Okay. How do you do that? How do you get honest with the Pope? How do I meet? And she was very ill at the time. And I was, and so anyway, I get on, I'm going to um, Rome with this program through Trinity College in Hartford. So I know nobody, meet them in JFK. We fly over, we stop in Milan, and then we take a connecting flight to Rome. Land in Rome, we were staying in a convent that was run by cloistered nuns, but they're smart nuns. So they rented out part of the convent to these 50 students, we were 50 students. It was January 25th, Feast of Paul, St. Paul. And it was six o'clock in the evening and they toured us around. We were on the um, geniculum, geniculum Hill. That's where we were. They said, there's a papal mass happening tonight. Would anybody like to go? We have three tickets. And so nobody raised their hands. And then they asked again, they said, it's a papal mass. The Pope is saying the mass. Would anybody like to go? So I raised my hand. Now keep in mind, jet lagged, but jeans, tea, you know, I'm not uh, dressed for a papal mass, but anyway, it's a mass, it, okay, you can go to mass that way. Two other women raised their hands. One was from Puerto Rico and one was an American. And they said, okay, take the bus, go down the hill, catch the bus at the bottom of the hill. None of, none of us spoke Italian. So we get to the bottom of the hill, we get on this bus and I'm just some little kid, some 11 year old little kid, 10 or 11, he was looking at us bewildered. And I showed him my invitation to this mass and it was St. Paul's outside the walls. He took us all the way there. This child led us to this church. And we got off and we, there were people everywhere, just mass confusion. We go in through the side entrance where the Swiss guard has to, ex, you know, they do, they wand you and all this. I go and I'm the first in. And the Swiss guard gets a hold of me and personally escorts me to the front of the church, to the front of the church, to the transept. And these other two women, I turned around and they had been sent in the exact opposite direction. And I couldn't see them anymore. So here I am sitting down with just monks, priests, a capuchin monk right next to me. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? So five minutes later, the Pope walks in. Literally Whoa. 10, the Pope, yeah, 10 feet from me. And I say, wow, I can tell my grandmother I've seen the Pope. I mean, my, it was 10 <laughs> from me and the presence of that man the presence of that man 
So he sits in his in the, the apps and then he does the whole service and then he gave communion, but not to my side of the church. He gave it to the other side, which was lay people, wealthy lay people, very well dressed. The mass ends. He's escorted out. And lo and behold, the Swiss guard comes and escorts me out as part of his procession, along with all these other priests and nuns and all this. Takes us all through the back alleys of the church into the sacristy where now as an art history major, I'm looking at Titians and Tintorettos. And I mean, everything that I've studied is on the walls in the sacristy. And now I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to be ordained? I mean, I'm going to become a nun. What is going on? And I don't know what was going on. <laughs> what was going on? What was going on? They lined us up in a semicircle. The Pope walks in. I had said to the nun next to me, Eve Papa. And she said, see, 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 Papa. And next thing I know, the Pope walks in. He went to every single one of us. I was at the end, sort of at the end of the line and with his with his cameraman. He came to me and he, he took my hand and I totally forgot to kiss his ring. All of this stuff. I said, mi chiamo Jean, sono americana. And he so he spoke only he spoke English to me beautifully, asked me what I was doing here. I said, I'm studying art history. But my knees are like rubber. I think I'm going to faint because here I am now shaking the Pope's hand, talking to him about my art history. And he's telling me Rome is the perfect place. And we have this little conversation and then he goes off. Now I'm completely, completely stunned. I start crying, overwhelmed with emotion not knowing where I am, not speaking Italian. It's 10 o'clock at night. And I don't even know where this convent is. I have no idea. So all these nuns, I remember that's when I learned the word ciao, ciao bella. So they were kissing my cheeks, ciao bella. And they're all surrounding me. And then the Pope's uh, bishop brought me a, a papal uh, rosary on this beautiful velvet cushion. So now I have his rosary. And then they escorted me out of the church. So now it's dark. There's people everywhere. And I don't know where I am. And I'm crying. And so this woman walks over to me, a nun, and she said, honey, are you okay? And I, I said, I just met the Pope. And she <laughs> looked at me, she said, you what? You, you just met the Pope? I said, yes, I met the Pope. He gave me this rosary and I show her the rosary. She said, oh my God, that's a papal rosary. Did you, you met the Pope? I said, I did, I know. She said, honey, you don't just meet the Pope every day. Your place in heaven is reserved. And I never, <laughs> ever forget that. So then the two women walk by that had been with me. They're, they're, and I see them and I call them over. And I said, I met the Pope. They said, the Pope? Did he even say the mass? We were so far back, we couldn't see anything. So yeah, I said the best. So, so this nun, this sweet nun from Ohio, took us back to the convent. She took us all the way back, escorted us back. And of course, nobody believed that I actually had met the Pope except the director of the program. So he let me call my grandmother in Australia. And then he said, look, go down to the church in 10 days time, they'll have the photos, they'll have the negatives. So I did, I went down and the church keeper pulled out this roll of negatives. He said, ah, mi ricordo te, I, I remember you. You're the girl who was crying. And he pulled out all these negatives. He went right to mine and he said, here's your numbers. You go to the Vatican photographer. And I got, I went and they printed these photos out, which I'll send you a copy. Yes, that uh, And so my first day in Rome, I was welcomed by the Pope. Wow, that's an so incredible, incredible story. And I wonder how much of that feeds into um, giving back. And, and the reason I bring this up is I work with a lot of boomer women and I find at 
a certain age after you've done kind of the profound work of raising children, maybe you've had a career, maybe you've had a family, whatever that life trajectory has been, somewhere along the line, you kind of realize it's not about you anymore. It's just not enough. And you kind of want to leave this earth knowing that you made the world a little bit better for either your kids or the kids of the world. And, and that is what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's no longer just about the money or putting food on the table because we're above that part of Maslow's hierarchy, let's say. You're looking for right. something more. And I noticed that you, you're doing some of that with Pax Philomena, you know, a way to do well for yourself, but also to do good in the world, which is you know, all about the ESG investing and, and sustainable investing is you don't have to just give your money away. You can do good in the world while doing good for yourself. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing on that front. So we are, so as I mentioned, Mother Teresa, that was one of my main things as far as you say, you know, being of a certain age and having achieved certain things and put the kids through college now and done these things. I wanted to give back and I wanted to strive to give back to the country where I was born. Uh, and so I went to Calcutta to find my birthplace and to meet with Mother Teresa's sisters. And I took my eldest son with me. And we, we met with the sisters there and said, we, I have this company. It was, again, it was just starting out. But I said, well, I would like to give to the missions, to Mother Teresa's mission. And they said, please, would you give to our sisters in Phoenix? So it turns out Mother Teresa had started a mission in Phoenix in 1989. And like I said, she felt this country was, was the poorest country, spiritually poor, basically, because we, you know, obviously she saw how people are just left to, to wither and it happens all around the world. But in any case, she came to America and she opened missions all around America. Now it's very, she was very low key. Mother Teresa serves the poorest of the poor. Her sisters live with, with the vows of poverty themselves, right? So they don't fundraise, they don't advertise, there's no gala balls, there's no women buying $20,000 gowns to go to their event, They're, that doesn't happen. They rely on divine providence to support themselves. This mission in Phoenix was so difficult to find. I had to, I had to contact the Vatican. I had to contact the office of St. Mother Teresa to find the mission in Phoenix connected with these sisters. And when PAX was just beginning, we didn't have anything. We didn't, but whatever we sold, I started out by just saying, whatever I sell, I'm gonna give something. Now keep in mind, we're all debt ridden, right? I mean, we're not making money, but that's not the point. You need to give, right? That was my whole, one of my missions. So I said, so what? I'll take this risk. And I started sending these checks to the, to the mission. It's in South Phoenix, the worst part of Phoenix. And I started sending them every month based on what I sold and the amount started growing and growing and growing. And then we, we I was just so busy because I was still running my other business. So I, I hadn't even had time to meet with them. I'd only met with the Calcutta mission. And when we went to Calcutta, they showed us the orphanage. They said, you and your son can go see the orphanage, Mother Teresa's orphanage. We don't open it to the public, but run down the street. They're feeding the children and we'll call ahead, you can go. So this orphanage had a beautiful, it was in a beautiful Victorian building. And that struck me because I thought what I'd like to do someday is to gift them some kind of building, some kind of structure where they can open another home. Someone gifted them that. 
Um, we have a design called the Mother Teresa floral that's based on a Victorian tile pattern that I saw there. Beautiful, beautiful, decrepit because Calcutta is decrepit, but that building in the height of the British Raj was a beautiful building. And the orphanage was in there. The walls were bright yellow. Yellow is a very auspicious color in India. And many of my clothing is yellow. Americans are scared of yellow, but they love my yellow. It's auspicious. So in any case, so that's what, so now we've met with the sisters here in Phoenix. They love us for the longest time. They thought I was Philomena. I've taught them that, that I'm not, that it was, she was my mother. They came to my mother's mass when she passed. I mean, they're just <clears throat> fabulous. And when we met with them, I said, how do you guys support yourselves? And she said, the head sister who four of the five are from India, one is from Mexico. She said, we support ourselves on divine providence, people like you. And she said, mother said, mother always said that you, you, people like you who support us, allow us to do our work. You're, you have a gift. We don't expect you to come here and to be working with the poorest of the poor. That's our gift. That's our job. But without people like you, we couldn't do that. So you're just as important as we are. And I thought, and she said, and we're very careful with your money because we know how hard you work for it. It's just, it's just a very different ethos, you know, to what charity, charity does begin at home. It begins in the heart. It begins with your next door neighbor. And these women are there in the battlegrounds during COVID, the, the, they were shut down, but they went to the streets, their homeless house, they had to shut it down, but they went to the streets to help people. And they wear that sari with the blue stripe. They're out there. They're in the thick of it, fearless. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really something to be admired. But I like that we can acknowledge we can't all be Mother Teresa, but we can all do our part, right? We We're all not all born with that, are we, Holly? We're not. No. We all don't have that that calling because she had a calling. But we have other callings, and that right. in, in my life, you know, these are the callings. So. The, the the Italy was a calling and post 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 Princeton I was called back to Italy and met you know the again by chance again I said I got to get to Italy I got I want to be in the textile industry how do I do this you know so I got myself to the Guggenheim as an intern and where and I met the 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 owner of Rati Printing Mill he was he he was at an event and I ran over and I said the same thing I said to the Pope mi chiamo Jean sono americana Jean Clark I said, and he said, Jim Clark, Jim Clark, Jim Clark. Turned out Jim, Jim Clark was a famous Formula One driver. And, <laughs> and Signorati loved Formula One. In his mind, he decided I was related to Jim Clark and it was all done by then. I said, here, here's my secretary's phone number. Call her, come visit me in Como. And that was it. I got on a train. I went to Como. I was 21 years old. Went to Como, I resisted all the Princeton, you know, go work for Johnson and Johnson and interview with this one. It wasn't me, it wasn't me. I couldn't do it, couldn't do that. I just thought, no, I wanna to go to Italy. I wanna get a job. This is my scheme. I'm gonna go meet someone important. Your, and your that's who I'm- Your story is um, so fascinating, Jean, that I feel like you should write a book called Auspicious <laughs> Yellow by Jean Marie <laughs> I like that. I like that. Auspicious. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, love, I love that. So um, we're so grateful to have you on the show. And you're such an inspiration to all of us. If you could give a bit of advice to our audience, what would that one thing be? Well, follow your dreams. You know, don't don't let anybody tell you no. 
especially in the fashion industry, people, so many people told me, no, you're not going to make it. Why are you doing this? You're crazy. You're, how many times was I told I was crazy? I had people tell me, just take all that inventory and go drive down to Mexico and donate it. Oh, sell it to Century 21 in New York. They'll give you a dollar a piece. Get out of this. What are you doing? You're crazy. Don't yeah. listen to anybody. You just follow your dreams, follow your passion, and don't follow the rules. Because I don't follow any of the rules. I don't make collections. I don't do seasons. I don't make line sheets. I don't do any of that. I just do what I want to do. I don't follow any of fashion's rules. Why do I have to? No, so remember that. Yeah, you, you, you don't. don't. And, and I and you definitely didn't follow the rule, the conventional thinking of, oh, I'm too old to do this. I mean, you really didn't get this going till you were 50 years old. Most women that I know that are 50 think it's it's too late to go back to school, too late to start a company, too late, too late to be a businesswoman. They gave up their opportunity to have kids and now they can't do anything. And I just don't think that that's true. No, it's not true. And you just have to, you know, yes, I, I, I had my kids. I did it. I learned. I supported them. I, I traveled. I did everything I had to do. But when you do it from the heart with a very strong desire and you follow your passion, I mean, honestly, you can you really can do whatever you want. So age in our society is seen as a negative. And instead, if I didn't have 30 years of textile experience, I couldn't do what I was doing. I yeah. couldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't have this knowledge. I couldn't know the Italian silks. We also have Italian silks in our line that are printed at, at, at Ratti at my mill, the top printing mill. We print for Versace, Valentino, Gucci, Prada, you know, all of them. And Pax Filomena, where I mean, I have an end to that company. I've worked for them for so many years and they and, and we love each other. I have the most beautiful silks that are in the world. So well, these I'm going to encourage all our listeners to go to your website and take a look at the beautiful oh, yeah. art that you're um, that you're bringing to the world. And definitely, Holly, and they can email me directly. They okay, can email fine. me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Where should they fun. email you? Oh, it's Jean at paxfilomena.com. Okay, you're an inspiration to us, Jean. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Holly Madasser, CPA, is a partner and senior wealth management advisor at Stearns Financial Group, an investment management firm with offices in Chapel Hill in Greensboro, North Carolina. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Hightower Advisors, LLC, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Refer to brokercheck.finra.org for more information. This podcast is copyrighted and all rights are reserved. The content of this podcast is for information only and not intended to serve as financial, legal, medical, or any other form of professional advice.